Well, good morning. It is good to be gathered with you. My name is Mitch, and I am on staff here. I work with our youth and family ministries, and um, I've been anticipating being together. And I want to welcome you if you're visiting or new. Our prayers that you would see uh, clearly the Jesus and the God that we serve. And um, if you're a member of church family, it's, it's good to be gathered with you too. I want to take uh, a moment at the beginning here to, um, to pray, pray for Glenn and Jane and their family, um, and also pray for Ron and Shirley Berger. Um, Ron's brother passed away unexpectedly this week as well. Um, and also John and Jackie Mitchell as they uh, anticipate that with her sister. So Glenn and Jane, um, Jane's mom passed away uh, this, this week, and they have a service for her at 2 today in Iowa. And um, uh, the Burgers have a, a family service for um, his brother as well. So let's, let's pray for them right now. Lord, we're grateful for the morning. We're grateful for your mercy that's new this morning. Uh, for those of us who... Um, who have joy and are encouraged this morning, and also for those of us who are mourning or hurting as well. I pray that your mercy would be with and felt by Glenn and Jane and their family, the Burgers and also the Mitchells, and everyone who's touched by those individuals who passed away. And just pray that you would sustain them, you would comfort them, as you're the God of all comfort. Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, I, I've been thinking a lot recently because our family, Emily, Kate, and I, have been here for almost exactly one year in Clark Summit. Uh, last Palm Sunday was was our first Sunday here at Heritage. Me on staff and us as a family, and so a lot's happened in the last year. Uh, I, I think that's fair to say with our church family. Uh, with our family as well. So I, I have a picture of Caitlin um, in May of last year and then just last week uh, when I was gone. And uh, she has grown a lot. Uh, we, we look back at those baby pictures and kind of goo and ga a little bit because she's the cutest baby that I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but we are amazed at how much she's growing, walking, talking, personality is coming out, and it's, it's a joy for Emily and I to, to raise her and parent her. We just, we love her so much, and I was thinking about that idea, that the fact that we love her, and was asking myself this question, how, how would Caitlin know that we loved her if we didn't tell her, or we didn't show her, right? If, if we didn't express our love for her in some way, how would, how would she know, right? She's, she's little, she doesn't understand, she can't say very many words. Um, she doesn't have very many abilities. And she, she wouldn't know that we loved her unless we showed her. And it would be a shame if we didn't show her, but we do. And so I think she knows that uh, we love her. But there's this, there's this chasm between what Caitlin is able to understand and do and, and what me and Emily are able to show her and, and express to her. And so as, as big as that chasm is between uh, Caitlin, who's a year and a half, and myself, I was thinking even further, how much bigger is the gap between what I can do and understand and who God is? Finite, imperfect human like me, 
understanding an infinite, perfect God. A dead, in my sin sort of human being, <clears throat> understanding an infinite and, and holy God. How, how am I able to understand who God is, right? If Caitlin's not able to understand how much I love her, how much less am I able to understand and know God and his love? This leads me to conclude that on my own, and um, I conclude this from scripture as well, on my own, it's impossible to know God and his love. On my own, it's impossible to know God and his love. So we're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is praying for the Ephesians in three ways, and it's in regard to knowing God and his love. Paul prays that if the Ephesians are going to know God and his love, they need to let Christ increasingly control their hearts. He prays that they would learn about God's love together, and he prays that they would be satisfied in Christ alone. So on our own, it's impossible to know God and his love, but we're, we're going to look at how Paul prays, and, and we're going to learn that because of what God has done, and because of how we live in light of that, we can understand God's love. It's possible. So if you haven't already, turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, I encourage you to use a hard copy of a Bible if you have one. It's going to help you in your own study, even as we leave uh, our, our service this morning is going to help you be familiar with your Bible and um, get less distracted this morning, maybe even as well. If you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, somewhere close by, and we're going to be on page 815 in that Bible. So it's been a great challenge to study the book of Ephesians with our youth group over the last school year. We, we started in September, and we're uh, to this passage. And Paul is writing to the Ephesians to encourage them in their faith, and remind them of the hope that they have because of Christ. Right? If, we, if we were going to sum up the book of Ephesians in a sentence, we would say God saves his people to live for him. God saves his people to live for him. So Paul starts the book in chapter 1 by reminding them of the, the rich spiritual blessings that they have in Christ. Right? They've been redeemed and predestined and chosen and given spiritual life. And that life comes through the gospel. In chapter 2, Paul gives one of the clearest gospel presentations in the whole Bible. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We followed our flesh and the world and the devil, right? We followed everything but God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, this is by grace you've been saved. And so Paul works out the, the implications of that salvation, that gospel with the rest of chapter 2. And, and that's what I preached on last time, at uh, the end of chapter 2, talking about the church, the foundation, and the cornerstone of the church being Jesus Christ. So that brings us to chapter 3. And uh, as you can see on, on the screen, I want you to look at chapter 3. Look at both verses 1 and, and verse 14 with me by way of uh, introducing this passage a little bit further, right? They, they both say the same thing. For this reason, I, or for this reason, I, Paul. And it's not a coincidence that it's the same phrase, right? Paul is doing something with his letter here. So he, he starts setting up his prayer in verse 1, and then he pauses to 
uh, to take an aside to talk about something that's important. And so with verses 2 through 13, Paul um, talks about his qualifications to share the gospel, his qualifications to write and pray what he's about to pray, right? God's given him grace to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. He's given him grace to reveal the mystery. He says that the Ephesians should be encouraged even as he's writing this from prison. So this is, this is where we are in verse 14 of chapter 3. And uh, these verses are, uh, they're the hinge to the entire book of Ephesians, right? They're, they're right in the middle. Ephesians is six chapters long, and they're at the end of chapter 3. So they're right in the middle. And right, the, the theme of Ephesians is God saves his people to live for him. So chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul lays a, a theological groundwork for the gospel, for the truth that is held within God, his plan and his purpose. And then with chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul talks about how we should live in light of that truth. And so this passage falls right in the, in the middle. It's, it's the hinge. And so it's going to be very helpful for us to understand this if we're going to live for God. It's going to be very helpful. We need this passage to understand how we know God's love. So let's, let's read together. We'll start in chapter, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is, derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever Amen. In the Greek, this passage never actually uses the word pray or prayer, but we know that Paul is praying because of the, the posture that he describes in verse 14. He kneels before the Father, from whom every name in heaven and on earth derives its name. He is positioning himself in a certain posture before God and asking these things. So, uh, I'd like to do the same thing as we begin to study this passage. So would you pray with me again? What a blessing it is, Father, to approach you with freedom and confidence. We have our existence and our identity only because of you. And I pray that you would make your word plain to us this morning. Help us to see your unmatched wisdom and your rich plan for our salvation and your glory. And I ask that our study and application of your word would accomplish your eternal purpose of glorifying yourself. Help my words point to your words and help the impact of this truth upon my heart spill over into our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So knowing God and his love is impossible on our own. But Paul prays in these three ways so that we would, we would know God and his love because we can't. So if, if we're going to know God and his love, Christ must increasingly control our hearts. 
we're going to know God and his love, Christ must increasingly control our hearts. And I want to walk through just the first couple phrases of, of verse 16 and 17. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power from his Holy Spirit, through his Holy Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. Paul makes a grammar no-no here, right? If, if this was an essay, I would have a red circle or some red marks on it, and it wouldn't be because it's the words of Jesus, right? Um, Paul uses the passive voice in this passage, right? He says, God may strengthen you with power, right? That's, that's passive. If he was going to use the active voice, he would have said something like, I pray that you would be strong. I pray that you would strengthen yourself. But he, he doesn't. He uses the passive voice, and our, our noticing of that points us to remind ourselves that we're not doing the strengthening. It's God who's doing the strengthening within us. So he prays that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit. And, and this power is God working in my heart through his grace. In chapter 1, Paul calls this power the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the, the, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saved me. And it's the same power that's at work in me to make me more like Jesus Christ. And it, it comes out of his glorious riches, the riches of his glory. The location of all of this, of course, is our hearts, right? That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And this isn't a second indwelling of Christ or his spirit. This isn't more of Jesus in my life. This is Jesus more and more controlling my life. This is, this is Jesus more and more controlling my heart. We ought to think about how Christ dwells in us like a home, not a hotel. It's, it's a permanent residence. That's what we looked at last time in Ephesians 2, right? The, the family or the household of God. We can have confidence in his permanent presence in our lives because in chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says that he, God has given us his Holy Spirit as a down payment on our on our lives, on this home. We don't walk away from a down payment, especially if the down payment is your own self. And this is exactly what God has done in us with the Holy Spirit. So we don't need more of Christ, but we do need him to more and more control our lives. Romans 8, verse 6, Paul says it this way, The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So if we're going to understand God and his love, we must let Christ control our hearts. We, we must let him strengthen us to dwell upon what is true and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, so that we can have life and peace. We need to let Christ increasingly control our lives. Secondly, Paul prays that if we're going to know God and his love, 
we must learn together. We must learn together if we're going to know God and his love. Let's read 17 and 18, verses 17 and 18. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So Mitch, you're telling me that we have to be rooted and established in love so that we can understand God's love. Good, that makes good circular reasoning sense, right? We, it's rooted in love so we can understand the love. Oh yeah, and, and the love that we're supposed to understand surpasses knowledge. So good, got, we got that cleared up, right? We can, we can go home. Not quite, not quite. What, what is this love that we're aiming to understand? It's God's love, and it's immeasurable. It surpasses knowledge. Paul prays that we would grasp the fullness of Christ's love for us, right? It's width and it's length and it's height and it's depth. I was, I was a carpenter for a year and a half before we moved here, right? And so I was familiar with the tape measure. We can't take a tape measure and measure the width of God's love. We can't measure the height of it. It surpasses knowledge. It's, it's immeasurable. So what does it mean to know God's love. We could, we could look at Romans 8 again as well, verses 35 to 39 this time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the love that we're aiming to know. We can't go anywhere to escape Christ's love for us. The psalmist in in Psalm 103 says it this way, as well. The, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. So this is the love that we aim to know. We can't, we can't measure it. We can't attain it. We can't get our heads fully around it. But Paul prays like he does because we can know it. We, we can. I think of Caitlin. My love for Caitlin will grow and change, Lord willing, as I grow in the Lord. And she'll grow in her understanding of my love for her. That's a good thing. But, but God's, God's not like that. His love won't grow. His love won't change because he is love. His love already stretches from east to west, 
from the heavens to the depths. The only thing that I can do is grow in how I know it. So what does is, what is knowing it mean then if it surpasses knowledge? Paul is saying here that we know Christ's love through his people. I, I, love, I love making connections uh, from scripture to scripture. I love letting God's word teach me. He's given me all that I need to live for him in his word. And so I, I hope you have that passion as well. And this makes me think of 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So God, God doesn't need us. If somehow we cease to exist, God would still be love. But John says that his love is made complete when we love one another. And I take this to mean when we love one another, God, who is love, puts his love on display for the world to see. We are an imperfect but visible representation of the perfect, invisible God. So when we love one another, we show off who God is. This looks like loving one another when we gather to worship. When I come, I don't come for myself. Right? When I come to worship and, and be with God's people, I come to give of myself. I, I come to give of my comfort. I come to give of my preferences. I come to give of my seat if, if it so requires. Right? I give my desire up to talk about myself when I come so that everyone else who I'm here with can see God's love. This looks like loving one another as we relate and disciple one another. When we think the best of one another. When we tell each other the truth in love. When we celebrate the good of God and, and others in each other's lives. When we're patient with one another. God's love is revealed. It's, it's made complete. This looks like serving and giving to one another generously, considering them before myself. So, yes, Paul says that as we are rooted and established in that kind of love, we can know God and his love for us. His love is made complete and made visible for the world to see and know. And, and let me mention that this applies to all of you. This applies to all of us, right? If, if you're in elementary school or in fifth grade, right, middle school, you can do this. You can love one another. If you're uh, advanced in years, you can love one another. And if you're anywhere in the middle, you can and you need to love one another. It's not something that requires an age. What it requires is Christ strengthening us. Right, we have power together with 
all the saints to grasp Christ's love. So if we're going to know God and his love, we have to let Christ increasingly control our lives. We need to learn God's love together. And finally, if we're going to know God and his love, we must look for satisfaction in Christ alone. We must be satisfied in Christ alone. And that's how, how Paul finishes his prayer. It says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's kind of a, a, a strange way to say something. But let's, let's try to understand what Paul is praying here. Right? Last time I preached, I, I introduced a couple phrases. I don't know if you remember any of them, but I'm going to bring one back to mind. It's this. We want what we want. We do what we do, sorry, because we want what we want. We do what we do because we want what we want. All right, this is based off the word of God, James chapter 4 specifically, right? Why do you have quarrels and fights? Is it not your desires that wage war within you? We, we do what we do because we want what we want. Let me take it a little bit further to say that we want what we want because we worship what we worship. Glenn talked about worship. We, we worship what we know and what we believe. It's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. And so what I worship shapes what I want, and what I want shapes, determines what I do. So if I worship, if I know Christ, if I, if I know God and his love, I will worship him. When I know him, I will worship him. What's going on in my heart will shape what I do. So this, this phrase, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is God full of? What is God full of? He's full of his character. God is love. God is rich in mercy. That's who he is. The God of all grace. The God of justice. We could go on, but we, we know that God is full of himself. Uh, rightfully so. If we skipped ahead to... to uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, we would see this phrase. The church has been gifted in certain ways, and, and the purpose is this, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, becoming like Jesus. We, we know 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, What's the end goal? So that the man of God may be complete. We, we want what we want because we worship what we worship. And if we're going to know God and his love, we must be satisfied in Christ alone. Would you turn in your Bible to Psalm 63? David understood this. I think his words are powerful for us to understand what Paul is praying. Psalm 63, I, uh, I only put, I started in verse 2 on the screen, but I like to start in verse 1. You are God, my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld 
your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And this, uh, this has had an impact on me. I, I must believe in my heart, if I'm going to be satisfied in Christ, that his love is better than my own life, right? Do I want to glorify God and know him more than I even want to breathe? David is satisfied in Christ. He, he's satisfied in God. As with the richest of foods, I made myself dinner on Friday night, and I made buffalo chicken mac and cheese, and it was delicious. I, I served myself three plates of this buffalo chicken mac and cheese. It was cheesy, it was buffalo-y, it was satisfying for a couple hours. As uh, I, I taught in this passage on Wednesday, and Jake and Tolik, it wasn't the same meal because that was Wednesday, but I, I, I had lasagna earlier in the week, and I said that it, the same thing. It didn't satisfy me. And he said, because it was carbs, Mitch. You, ate, you, you, fill, you filled your belly with carbs. That makes sense. But it was good, but it wasn't satisfying. Not forever. But Christ is. I will praise you as long as I'm alive. David, David won't be hungry as he dwells on who Christ is. And he can have this response because of what verse 2 says, right? He saw God in the sanctuary. He beheld his power and his glory. He understood who God was, and that led him to worship God. That led him to be satisfied in God. So on our own, it's impossible to know God and his love. God has, has made himself known to us through his word, through his people. Will, will we be satisfied in Christ alone? Will we worship something else and, and walk away empty? That's the question in front of us. If we're going to know God and his love. We, we must be satisfied in Christ alone. We must know him and we must worship him. Because on our own, it's impossible to know God and his love. And we can't measure the love of Christ without his presence or his people. Because his, his presence is among his people. We stand no chance of glorifying him without Christ and without the church. Paul finishes his prayer with an outburst of praise, right? We, we call it a doxology. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, does it work within us? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Men are immeasurably more, far than we could ask or think. What, what does he mean by that? I, I think he could certainly mean that the power that raised Christ from the dead, that would be an immeasurably more sort of thing, right? Our salvation would be an immeasurably more sort of thing. But I think Paul also has in mind a thought that encompasses both of those, right? Immeasurably more also means knowing God and his love. If Christ hadn't come, we would not know God's love like we do. Without 
God saving us, revealing himself to us, how would we know him? How would we know his love? He's done immeasurably more. He can strengthen us with power through his spirit so that our lives would be controlled more and more by Christ. God can strengthen us to put his love on display to one another, with one another, and God can satisfy us in Christ alone. God can do all this and more, so will you rely on the strength he provides? Will you allow Christ to control your life? Will you love one another and learn together? And will you worship him alone? We're going to transition to remembering what Christ died, has done and taking of communion, participating in that. And so I'm going to invite uh, the guys who are going to come help serve that to, to come forward and, and be ready. And there's so many ways in which this passage we just talked about reflects what we're about to do in communion. Communion is an act of remembering. We're using this cracker and juice to remind us of Christ's sacrifice. His sacrifice is the payment for our sins. Through faith in him, he dwells in us and gives us spiritual life. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves And he says to discern the body of Christ. There's no point in ascending to come before God, right, to remember what he's done for us if if I am not right with a brother or sister in Christ, right? If I've sinned against them or if they've sinned against me, there's, there's no point in remembering what Christ has done. There is a point, but the point is that you go and be reconciled. If I have a people problem, I also have a God problem. So this, this cracker and this juice will not satisfy, right? I'm going to need a snack in HSM Institute after this. They're not made to physically satisfy. On the other hand, God is the only thing that can satisfy. And so that is what we remember. That's the truth that we, we choose to remember. And, and because of all that, communion is for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, right? We are remembering what Christ has done for us. So if you haven't believed that, I'll ask you to let the elements pass and also ask you to reflect on what we're doing, right? What is stopping you from believing in Jesus Christ today, right now, to forgive your sins? Why would you not accept that gift? And, and know the love of God. So, let's, uh, let's begin this remembering.